See, I, I fucking love satire. Like people look at satire, and they go, "Oh, it's not, it's not like the normal world." They go, "Oh, it's it's all mocking." You go, "Yeah, because it's satire." Joe, why are you talking like that? Well, because like this episode marks exactly two years since our first episode went out in February 2019. So I thought I'd listen to lots of other podcasts to see what we could steal and to keep us fresh. And I found out that a lot of podcasts talk like that. So to keep it fresh, the plan is to recycle other people's ideas. Yeah, yeah, to keep it fresh. So so you so to keep it fresh, you're gonna recycle other people's ideas. That is fucking hilarious. Gotta do some of that some of their ideas business. Gotta get some of that satire ideas business to the forefront. Because <laughs> I'm I met Chris Morris and he said he said a fucking amazing thing. He said, I don't consider myself a satirist, which I think is just it's just incredible, isn't it? Well, I met Chris Morris as well when we were working together and he said to me, he said, you know what? I think you're a really great guy. <laughs> Should we not copy other people's podcasts? Should we just do our own podcast? Yeah, actually, we're, we're two years in. We know what works best for our podcast. So let's just us do us. Yes, it's our podcast. This is how we do it. And if you can't deal with that, you can just called by two podcasters illegally this podcast has not been recorded according to the law illegal illegal to the law will you please let this podcaster speak you have no authority here joe war okay okay should we introduce the podcast properly and then we'll have a quick chat about jackie weaver yes read the script joe read it and understand (laughs) very good so what is this podcast in fact yeah 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 let's do some of the podcast intro business so uh this is the podcast it's not that podcast it's this podcast the podcast is smith and wall talk about satire the only podcast where two people talk about the form function history and future of satire and we do it according to the rule of two which (laughs) is our rule yes so who are we Uh, i'm joe wall senior lecturer in 19th century literature what the fucking hell are you i'm dr adam j smith senior lecturer in 18th century literature i'm a doctor as well well i mean you say you're a doctor i could call myself britney spears it wouldn't make me britney spears so we've mentioned jackie weaver there a few times what's that all about well let's just get the salient factor jackie weaver is a woman who found herself at the center of a social media storm after a parish council meeting spiraled into chaos okay and what happened then (laughs) why have i got to say everything that happened so jackie weaver was called in to to host the meeting of the parish council and there was clearly some bad blood going on there about who was in charge who was the clerk when the meeting started and whether or not Jackie Weaver had any authority whether she had read the standing orders or read them but not understood them and Jackie Weaver sort of became famous because she partly because she remained so cool and calm under a barrage of insults and bad behaviour and kept booting people out when they were behaving badly so she's been at the centre of a lot of conversations and discussions over the last few days, hasn't she? She has. I mean, yeah, so this this clip, oh, that was a very good dis- description of it. So this clip, I saw a five or six minute video about three days ago. My dad actually put it on our family thread because my brother is interested in joining the parish council in the village where they live. And I just assumed that my dad had been watching parish council videos on YouTube and had found this obscure clip. So I saw it 
and naively shared it with a few people, not realizing that in the world outside, this was already spreading like fire. And by that evening, literally everyone was talking about it, weren't they? And and I, and I suppose, what, what has this got to do with satire? Well, it's been the subject of various parodies, responses, satirical interpretations, isn't it? Yeah, um, and maybe we could talk about whether we think they're satirical, and if so, if they're, what they're satirizing, or if they're just funny responses to the Jackie Weaver phenomenon. Are you thinking of any responses in particular there? Well, I mean, the first one I saw was a video on Spoofed, which is a satiric, claims to be a satirical website, taking a sideways look at the news, where they had re-edited the, this clip together as if it was the trailer to a thriller. And it's absolutely, it works so well because, because, and I think it works well because everyone is speaking in a really elevated register in the actual clip, aren't yeah. they? It sounds like they're discussing the nuclear codes or something, doesn't it? It sounds like Russia have mobilized to destroy the US. So there's a real pathetic effect. And also because yeah. it's in Zoom, there's people spinning around in their chairs to look at the camera. They're able to edit it so it looks like people are turning around dramatically. There's a, there's a bit that makes me, I've watched that video three or four times now, and there's a bit that makes me actually do a lull every time, which is where as the dramatic music's playing, one character is far away from the camera pointing the other way but then there's a skip in the zoom recording and suddenly smack back in front of the camera just as his name comes on the screen so that was very good but yeah i think is it satire or comedy it's certainly comedy because of the pathetic juxtaposition of it being a parish council dispute but heightened as if it's yeah. a global conspiracy thriller but that's and that's just foregrounded by the fact that they were talking as though it was a global conspiracy in the actual meeting. Yeah, yeah, they were. I mean, you have no authority. Is like certainly out of context and possibly in context sounds a lot more kind of grandiose than you need it to be, doesn't it? It does. And there's something funny about that kind of register that you get. I imagine you get in parish council meetings, but you get in any meeting where there's protocol, isn't it? Where you have a chair, mm. where you have so parish council meetings. But I'm thinking of, you know, our union meetings are a bit like that, isn't it? Like there's the chair and the secretary, and we have a, an agenda. Ours is quite relaxed, but mm. I'm on the committee for a, a learned society, and that's very formal, where it, where people have to like forward motions and things. And and ostensibly, what's happening is, and now more than ever because we're in this pandemic, like we're just going through the motions of that. We're going to have a conversation anyway, but it's code highly codified language, which when you're outside of it is quite funny. It's interesting, isn't it? Because it it lends it. There's a kind of overlap with the Zoom satire, which has been going on since March people kind of pointing to the sillinesses or the quirks of Zoom and how, like the, the Julie's iPad thing that's, that's funny and ridiculous and it's like this is the world we all live in. But it's interesting, isn't it? Because a lot of people have rightly said, well, you know, this, this is not just an isolated one-off weird thing that happened. This reflects dynamics that happen in lots of meetings. And at least because it was on Zoom, she could just boot them out and um, and it stopped it from getting so heated. But I do kind of wonder if maybe it's the other way around in that Zoom facilitates that escalation a lot more than in meetings because it's relatively unusual in any IRL meeting I've ever been in for anyone to kick off to that extent and for people to be quite so rude and obnoxious. So... I think that there's lots that you could say about Zoom and Zoom as a phenomenon. So. It, it sort of gamifies everything, doesn't it? I've been in meetings where, you know, I've maybe been a little bit bolder than I would have been otherwise mm. because it's like you're interacting with a video game or watching a TV show. I mean, I've never been in a meeting like that, but I have been in some meetings where, you know, discussion has become vexed. And 
I have to remind myself that it's happening in real time sometimes, you know, like that I'm not just tuned into some fly on the wall documentary about people interacting. So, so I think there is, and I wonder if one of the contributing factors to why this went so viral is because everyone is living this now. Like it's so, because it's in the grammar of, of this peculiar time that we're in for increasingly protracted yeah, period. It um, exacerbates lots of things, doesn't it? Because I mean, I suppose this is more the case in Teams than in Zoom, but there's a different dynamic in a meeting whereby there can be a conversation going on, but another conversation going on in the chat. And where in real life, if you said something in a meeting that people thought was good, they wouldn't reach across the table and give you a thumbs up yeah. um, or interrupt things to say good point or whatever. But in teams, they can do that. And I guess that sort of has the potential to become a bit passive aggressive and make for those two parallel conversations to be happening. Yeah. I think interrupting is potentially more aggressive on Zoom and more frustrating when people do it because your box stops being highlighted and nobody can hear what you're saying and you can't kind of fight your way back through it. And I think also that people's body language is perhaps more legible on Zoom. So, you know, Jackie Weaver is kind of sighing, isn't she? And, mm. you know, is clearly feeling a bit defeated by it. But you because it, the screen's full of people's faces, that enables a different sort of dynamic. If you're on an online meeting, an eye roll or an eyebrow raise is much more visible and and that can be exploited yeah like and you I, can take your time about raising your eyebrows until you're sure everyone's seen it can't you yeah and i wonder if another factor is that like death zoom is the great leveler isn't it we'll use zoom to have a family meeting but also you use Zoom for a parish council meeting use it for teaching use it for work but also like i don't know if you saw that clip that was also circulated this week it didn't go as viral of someone in in, um, in the house of parliament and they go to a zoom link a guy i think his name was something his surname was scott and it goes mm. to him and he sat there in his shirt and tie very clearly there's always that bizarre thing of going to mps in their homes and then beaming it on the wall of this great 18th century amphitheater which is the house of commons but he starts talking and his voice is slow down like that and then the speaker says gonna have to stop you there mr scott because you sound like a dalek and everybody laughs but like they're using the same zoom interface that we all yeah. use for everything Except we use teams well we use teams but like the yeah a video communication interface that everyone is using means that yes there are parish councils sat in their own homes but they are content they are in the same conditions as actual prime ministers and ministers and presidents and stuff who are all sat encountering the same problems with lagging internet speeds and parallel conversations in the chat and such. So we can agree that Zoom is um Zoom is a thing. It's ubiquitous. Do you think sorry. It's ubiquitous at the moment. It is ubiquitous, yes. That's yeah. a very good word. Is there is there anything to say about satire with, with relation to Jackie Weaver, though? Well, I mean, so that's so the the trailer we just played that's parody, isn't it? Is it a satire? What would the satire be of? I suppose the target of the satire might be those people for being so invested in whatever was going on, perhaps. I mean, I think, and I think that's an unfair target, actually, but I think the trailer is saying, look, they're acting like they're the UN embassy, but it's a parish council. I feel like that's where the comedy is coming from that clip. I don't think that's true of all clips. I mean, did you have a, an example of a response that you thought was interesting? Oh, yeah. Shall we listen to Flo and Joan and their song about the Hanforth Parish Council? Yes, please. This is a meeting called by two councillors. Illegally? This meeting has not been called according to the law. Illegal, illegal to the law. Will you please let the chairman speak? She's not the proper officer. Who is this woman? Jackie Weaver. You have no authority here, Jackie Weaver. No authority at all. The chairman of the council is the chairman of the council. No authority here, Jackie Weaver. 
Michael. Please refer to me as Britney Spears. I love to see people getting passionate in the local parish cabinet. But if you disrespect Jackie Weaver, you will know. She's just kicked him out. Oops, I did it again. Read the standing orders. Read them and understand them. Read the standing orders. Read them and understand them. We are the rebels of the parish council. We are the rebels of the parish council. And you're welcome. You will That's so good, isn't it? It's just wonderful. And an earworm as well. I'm going to be singing that to myself for the, for the Yeah, I did, uh, I did a lot of that. I, I forgot that line as well, where you stop being whatever it is you're trying to be. Yeah, so, so Flo and Jonah are a, a double act who do stuff like that. We should get them on the podcast. Is, yeah. Yeah. Is it satire? I think that one is more satirical than the first. And I think that that is bet- better. I think it's more precise because I don't feel listening to that song, like the joke is, look at these parish councillors taking everything too seriously. I feel like the target of the satire there is look at these pumped up men with this this inflated sense of self-importance who are taking this elevated register and coming out with these bizarre phrases to shut down Jackie Weaver, who's had to mm. be brought in. Like, I feel like that's the joke, is these silver foxes who are sat there saying things like, read the standing orders, read them and understand them. I mean, that's the... <laughs> yeah, I think the the form there and the fact that it's an earworm, the fact that I think lots of people who've listened to that will have been going around their houses just um, unconsciously going, you have no authority here. It, it really kind of draws attention to the pomposity and ridiculousness of saying that and also it's uh, i find that one of the funniest things about is how they always call her jackie weaver yeah yeah no i thought that was absolutely brilliant shall we talk about what we're going to do for the main bit of this anniversary episode yes let's well we thought the last episode got a bit heavy with all the stuff about the culture wars and cancel culture and wokeness and we thought that got a bit heavy so maybe this week we'll focus on something just slightly less contentious okay what should we focus on that's slightly less contentious than the culture wars and cancel culture and all of those things i thought North Korea. North Korea. Amazing. That's right. We're going to talk to author Ollie Grant about his recent satire, Junjae, How to Live Well the North Korean Way, which is written in character as Comrade Hyunji, Global Juche Ambassador for the DPRK, which is the Democratic People's Republic of Korea. And if that sounds familiar to regular listeners, it might be because we actually discussed this book briefly in our Christmas Consumer Advice episode. Yep, and that featured a broadcast from, in inverted commas, Comrade Hyunji himself. Yeah, so we actually spoke to Ollie back in November. So again, as with the last couple of episodes, please listen with the usual disclaimer that 
we didn't know what was going to happen next. For example, we didn't know who was going to win the presidential election in America. I think we refer to Donald Trump as the president. That's not because we're... He's my president. <laughs> no, it's not because we're doing that. It's not because we want to a recount. It's because we're in the past. So, so be aware of that. But we had a great ramble chat, didn't we? We spoke for a good old while. We've edited that long conversation down to fit just inside this episode. So it's been cut down to about half an hour. You've cut stuff out. Yeah, well, I've mostly the things I've cut out are just things where people say erm or gulping or sighing or those cross-chatter interruptions or just big pauses or things that are digressive and not about satire. Why? Well, that just exemplifies the problem I have with non-talent presenting and content creation. You admit, you've just admitted to having a longer episode in the can and then you've edited down to 30-minute broadcast. Meh. Proves media creation really is a talent and not just something anyone with a mic can do. Ah, yes. You're referring to our most recent accolade, aren't you? Yes, I am. And now it's time for a special surprise. (laughs) Accolade, accolade, it's time to read an accolade. People post on Twitter to upbraid us because our amateurism is outrageous. But we're just two people chatting, we don't get paid. Our houses are the places this all gets made. We are a human woman and a man. We're really only doing what we can. And we're just a little podcast in a giant podcast bin. There's literally no reason for you to listen in. So I'll finish up this silly little song and wait for you to tell me it's all wrong. Accolade. It's a new jingle that I've done. Yeah, I've I, made a I had no idea you had such a talent for music. Yeah, well, um, I, I used stems and logic loops and the layers of vocals, and I'm going to upload those so folks can have a play around, try and try and see if they can do their own version of the accolade song. But um, yeah, no, so that's that's our new jingle. No, in all seriousness, I made the hat. Like, it was always going to be amateurish, but I have embraced the amateurishness just this once to make the point that that is, that is what we are. I suppose I could be accused of having a skin too few here that accusation has been leveled in the past but yeah and just saying we are we are two people with a mic or with two mics rather and we're not ashamed of being that we don't have editors or producers we just record this and if some people want to listen to it that's cool but they don't have to that's amazing i was gonna say like i wanted to talk about this accolade because it's mm. i think it's quite funny but also, I was going to say, we need to be careful so it doesn't become a regular feature on the podcast where we pick on someone who's tweeted abuse at us. But now we've got a jingle. Please, everyone, do please do send, send, us your, send us your outrage. I mean, that's a kind of impact as well. Just think about the ref. If someone's been annoyed by us, that's a significant change that can be quantified. So that is, I didn't know you were going to do that. That's, that's made this anniversary episode for me. Thank you for sharing that jingle. Well, if we get more accolades, we'll do it again. And, and maybe we will, because that's what happens but you know there's there's other there's more polished podcasts out there for absolute certain but and if you want to hear andrew doyle talking without him having to be talking to us he does have his own podcast as he well. does have oh, his own so. podcast i mean i suppose the person who, who accused us there of being amateurish because we edited it down to 30 i mean ultimately across the two episodes there's there's over an hour of andrew doyle content but we did edit it down and he has got a point because you know we did we did take a lot of stuff out there for the sake of our careers didn't we like we we edited out all that stuff about the royal family being made out of lizards and all of those other conspiracy theories they all went 
agreeing that there's um, the pandemic that the pandemic is embedded in 5G way wavelengths all that stuff's gone so well yeah. done well done you got us you got us we did we self-censored we did and uh, yeah and we also edited all the bits where we said oh it's coming up to 40 minutes shall we pause are you okay for another bit uh, we did take those bits out and, we did we did yeah and all the long bit where andrew was talking about playing squash before we play the interview with ollie grant shall we just take a moment to have a little think about the kinds of book that Ollie is satirising in his book. Yes, it's time for Adam and Joe's Little Think. <sighs> Adam and Joe have a little think. Oh, that sounds nice. Okay, let's, so let's talk about the book of the book of Hooger, the Danish way yes. to live well. Uh, which isn't a satire, but it did cost me twelve ninety nine, and I bought it specifically for this episode. So let's discuss it. Well, uh, that, the satire worked well then, didn't it? If you went out and bought the little book of Hugo, it is interesting that this is published by Penguin, and so is uh, Junshi, the parody. So, well, I think they're quite a big publishing house, aren't they? They are. They are. But it, so they publish like Charlotte Bronte, but they also publish Jane Austen. Yeah, they do. Less so, yeah, <laughs> they do. I mean, it's just an interesting dynamic. I think about this a little bit. You know, if there if there wasn't, uh, it's an interesting dynamic in satire. So, in the 18th mm-hmm. century, you know, if there if there weren't Whigs doing things that annoyed the Tories, the Tories wouldn't make money from publishing satire of it. And I feel like that dynamic is one that that is just as prevalent now, isn't it? If there wasn't, if Penguin hadn't published this, they wouldn't have been able to publish a parody of it, which also generates profit for someone you're right it's um, exactly the same yeah so do you uh have you encountered Huga before do you have any uh, i've heard of Huga. yeah uh, it's sort of being being cozy and happy isn't it basically yeah so the you book is it. well the book itself is is sold one million copies plus worldwide the, to give it its full title it's the little book of Huga, the danish way to live well in fairness i do think there's a bigger book of Huga, but i didn't buy that one because it was ex- more expensive um, and it's produced by someone who works at the Happiness Research Institute in Copenhagen, which is something I didn't know. So this is sort of a lifestyle guide, a lifestyle guide. <laughs> a lifestyle guide is MLA's mm. advice on how to finish sentences. But um, no, it's a lifestyle guide, but it's based on evidence, quantitative and qualitative data gathered by the uh, Happy- Happiness Research Institute in Copenhagen. And it's been turned into this philosophy, which actually has a manifesto, which is, is really short. So I'll just read it out. So okay. Huga is about atmosphere, presence, pleasure, equality. And then there's a little clarification that when they say equality, they mean we over me. Gratitude. <laughs> Would you not like to we over me? No, we over me. So the we is more important than the me. Right. Uh, we so this is about pronouns, isn't it? The the two people, the the us, us as a we is more important than me it's as a plural, single. not a singular. I think we've established that. Yeah. Yeah. Gratitude, which is it clarifies, is this may be as good as it gets. So well, when that came out in 2016, it was. <laughs> it may have been true. It may have been true. You don't know how lucky you were with all that touching and such. Um, yeah. Harmony. So that, that, which is an interesting one. So harmony and the clarification for that one is there is no need to brag. Well, don't put on your book that you've sold over a million copies then. Well, that's right. And something that Ollie talks about is that boastful Huga. One of the manifestations of, that's going to be a new insult. I'm going to use that now. 
whenever I see someone weird flex on the internet, I'll be like, shut your mouth, boastful hooker. <laughs> um, but yeah, one of the manifestations of hooker is that you can Instagram it. So yeah. can't you Instagram your hooker lifestyle. Comfort, truce, and there's no clarification for that. So truce, I guess, make peace. If you're having a war, stop it. Yeah, yeah make, make peace, not Compromise. war. Compromise, togetherness, and shelter. And then it's funny you should say if this was 2016, that might be as good as it gets, because the motto is Huga is like a hug without touching. Ah, all right. Well, that's is, the kind of hug we're allowed, isn't it? It's so, the yeah. only kind of only kind of hug in town. Yeah. Now, yeah. In the now times. Um, yes. Well, I haven't read the book, but I've read John Crace's Digested Read, which was in The Guardian in 2016. Um, where he sort of summarises it in a satirical fashion and um, says, Huger doesn't have to be expensive. Cheap candles and cakes can be just as good as pricier ones. One of the reasons the Danes are so much happier than everyone else is because there is very little to do in Denmark. So we have got used to having low expectations. For us, a bike ride in the pouring rain with a candle on our heads or sitting on the beach in the pouring rain eating cakes can be huge, can be pure hooginess. And here are some ideas for how you can be hooger in Copenhagen. One, go for a walk with some sticks. Two, buy a candle. Three, have your throat ripped out by a copycat killer who has watched the killing. Four, that's about it. Remember, candles and cakes are very important for hooger. Stay safe, stay hooger, and protect the NHS. Did um, When he says go for a walk with sticks, does he mean like hiking poles or bits of I fruit? don't know. I mean, you've read the book, so... Does it? Is there a lot of focus on sticks? I don't remember that. I didn't notice that. Yeah, he might uh, mean crutches, might he? Or he yeah. might mean matchmakers. I don't know. Yeah. Chopsticks. Chopsticks, yeah. I mean, the book actually ends with 10 inexpensive hygge activities. So, Joe, maybe I thought maybe I could just quickly go through these and okay. you can say if either if you fancy them, you like the sound of them, or maybe you incorporate these into your daily practice already. All right. So, number one is bring out the board games. We live in the age of Netflix, Candy Crush, and an endless supply of electronic entertainment. We hang out with technology instead of with each other. Why are board games hygge? Well, first of all, it's a social activity. You play games together, you create common memories and strengthen bonds. So, Well, uh, I'm trying to remember the last time that I played a board game, possibly like Monopoly a year or so ago, perhaps. I, th I think board games need to be used really sparingly. Every once in a while, it so happens that someone says, let's get the Monopoly out, and it, and it works out quite nicely. Um, but I think I'd be cautious about incorporating board games into my daily practice. I, mean, I did think, um, just before everything kicked off last year, I was going to see if I could organise a trip on one of my modules to where we look at literature and disease and contagion to um, a board game cafe and get everyone to have a look at the game pandemic yes um, but even as I was scoping it out and having a look at it I started thinking this is a lot of little bits of things that people have been touching all day um, and then the next week it was closed down so I wouldn't play that board game um, but I think right now I probably would go to a board game cafe if it was on offer because it would just be some fucking thing to do wouldn't it <laughs> uh, number two pantry party invite your friends over to your house for an afternoon or an evening of cooking and hygge the rules are simple. Everyone brings ingredients to make something that goes in the pantry or in the fridge. Yum. 
oh no no that's awful if i think if, if you're having friends around and saying like let's all i don't know we, we could all make a roast together um or we could all assemble pizzas that would be fun but the idea that you're all there in the kitchen making like washing up and chopping things up and getting under each other's foot feet and then all you've got is something to put in the pantry no silly and rude <laughs> number three tv night one of my best friends and I always watch Games of Thrones together. So restrain yourself from binging your favorite TV program and invite friends over for weekly viewings of a specific TV show. Well, in theory, just not right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, well, you've, you've all got to agree on what the policy is on like interrupting, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's an interesting social activity, isn't it? One where you all mm -hmm. sit, sit in silence. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, you need to, you need to choose something that won't suffer from the odd bit of conversation and crosstalk, but that you'd care enough about. I, th I think good things for coming or watching is things like nine nine nine. Watch your emergency. That mm -hmm. that works quite well with with several people because you can. And also because they do little subtitles as well when the people ring up nine nine nine. So it's it's perfect. Um, yeah. But I wouldn't I wouldn't like invite a bunch of people around to watch something that mattered to me, like <laughs> Better Call Saul or something where I need yeah. to try and understand it. Yeah, you need something without a strong narrative, don't you really? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Number four, set up a mini library in your shared stairway or elsewhere in the neighborhood. An inexpensive and sustainable way to make the shared space in your building or local neighborhood a little bit more hygge is to build a small library. Also, it may encourage more hygge interaction among the tenants in your building or neighbors in your neighborhood. Well, people did that a bit, didn't they, in the spring lockdown, put little bookshelves outside houses. I've seen that in a few places, the mm. idea being that you like pick up a book and leave a book and stuff. And I, I, perhaps it's the cynic in me, but I think that shared libraries set up in communal stairwells or whatever is not really that, is it? It's that you can't be asked taking those books to charity. Like yeah. you don't want them anymore and you're hoping it'll become someone else's problem and that they would like your your copy of whatever yeah. it is you've had enough of it could it could be a nice thing but it probably wouldn't yeah i mean i have worked in a building that had a shared library and Me too. it became an excuse for fly tipping basically yeah i think increasingly what is emerging isn't so much that hygge is a bad idea as that we're a bit too cynical to participate <laughs> in it but let's see if we've got some we good ones coming up number five balls 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 i said like french balls so what do you mean French balls? What's you a know, French ball, ball? Like balls. Um, like, you know, if you go for oh, the balls. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Surely one of your mates has a set of balls laying around. Apart from being a wonderful excuse to drink pastis. Don't know what that is. It's like an anisidi liqueur that French, old Frenchmen drink whilst they're standing under the trees in the near the like mayor's house in the town centre and playing ball. But anyway, <laughs> get, your, get your fancy French anti-pasty drink. And uh, mm. playing balls is a great way of hanging out with friends and family. Seems a bit specific, that one. What about rounding? I, I think the reason why it might say that is because it's associated with, when I think of like a bunch of people playing that, I think of them in a sort of hot and, um, what's the word, congenial atmosphere in a lovely old French town with lots of bars around the town square and tables outside them and like a community of old blokes who've been there forever and that apparently they like it 
so I think she's trying to he or she whoever wrote this I don't know is perhaps like alluding to the general atmosphere that surrounds that but I wouldn't I'd give it a go yeah maybe we should do that <laughs> get some balls I don't know even know where you get yeah. them from I suppose our gossip happen number six make a fire a fire is definitely a part of Huga, and so is the slow preparation of very unfussy foods but it's also the togetherness around the fire, the fact that there's no need to keep the conversation going because you sound, have the sound of the fire in the background. Yeah, I, I'm having that one. Fires are nice. I like lighting a fire. Inappropriate circumstances. I'm not an arsonist or a pyromaniac, much though the evidence might point to my being reasonably deranged. But yeah, fires are nice. I, I don't want to, want to critique. That's good. No. Um, number seven, outdoor movies. Go to the screening of a film outdoors. If it was summer, completely, yeah. And, the, and there's a movie screen. I mean, that's not the sort of thing that you could organise by yourself. Is it sort of dependent on a bigger structure? I suppose you could organise. Maybe it'd be a hooger activity for you and a group of friends to petition the council to put on a film outside. Yeah, or you could all sort of get together and drive out to a field and maybe somebody's got a big thing they could use as a screen and somebody's got a projector and it would all be very community, wouldn't it? Mm. Yeah, this next one, I feel like this is another fly tipping risk. So swap party. The rules are simple. Each person brings something which they don't use anymore, but which might be of value to somebody else. Beyond being wallet and eco-friendly, it's also a nice opportunity to clean out your wardrobe. I think you have to be very sure that you're all good friends, that you share similar taste, and that nobody's going to take the piss by bringing like a broken old blender, and then even worse, be offended that nobody wants that that crap thing and hope that they can take something good away with them. Again, probably a bit too cynical, but I think if you all agreed that like you liked each other's stuff and you broadly shared the same sort of taste and you trusted everyone to kind of do it in the spirit in which it's intended, I could see that would be quite nice. It does seem like a million, billion miles away from possibility at the moment, obviously. But Just... yeah, mate, what's it called doing that? A swap party. A swap party. Well, maybe I'll organise a swap party when all of this is over. Yeah, we can all swap face masks that we won't need anymore because we've all been vaccinated yeah number nine nearly there now sledding you can use a sturdy plastic bag to sled down a hill sledding is free and fun bring a winter picnic basket with tea or mulled wine for afterwards don't drink and slay well i'd love to go sledging um i find i mean i think snow in itself is pretty hygge um if if i had the opportunity and the snow and the sledge and there wasn't going to be any people then um yeah i know i know some good sledging places near me as well and i'm sad not to have been to any of them for a long time take a plastic bag out tonight it's been snowing all day yeah it's not i don't think it's well maybe i will number 10 the last one play one of our issues as adults is that we become too focused on the results of an activity we work to earn money we go to the gym to lose weight we spend time with people to network and further our careers what happened to doing something just because it's fun? So if you can't remember the last time you had fun, then remember The Shining. Quote, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. I think that was already a saying when he <laughs> said it in a very menacing and murdery way in The Shining. It's not like Stephen King made that phrase up. Yes, I, well, I, I do play um, Words With Friends. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm good for that one, yeah. And we make this podcast, as we've established, just mostly for yeah. the fun of it, don't we? So um, so I think we probably get about 50% Huga. We have 50% Huga lives, maybe? Well, a, a, an absolute maximum, I think, yeah. Yeah, 
yeah, but we're just too cynical, really. For, yeah, so but I think embrace. what came through from that, and this is going to lead very seamlessly into the interview with Ollie, is um, particularly in the one about playing bull like a like an old Frenchman who eats, oh, what's that olive oil th- pretend butter thing, and they live forever and have a Mediterranean Bellatoni. diet. Bellatoni? Is it Bellatoni or something? But Bertorelli, Bertorelli, something like yeah. Berlusconi. Berlusconi. Balsam- yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, du pain, du vin, du boursin. Oui. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, it's it's like little snippets of what we associate with other cultures that's nice and that we'd like a part of, isn't it? Yeah. So your Sarah Lund jumpers, your toasty feet by the fire, sledging and playing Monopoly and um, and then playing balls as well. It's it's all a bit partial, isn't it? Yes. It is. So what would happen if rather than stealing from the French and the Danish, you stole from the North Koreans? Can't begin to guess, but I think Ollie Grant has some thoughts about it. So should we go to the interview? Let's go to the interview. And just to say, we're going to join this interview in the past midway through a conversation about podcasts and podcasting. So listen up for Ollie's recommendations of good podcasts. Let's play the clip. Have a ramble chat. Be back at the end for some waffle. I was tuning into to podcasts I regularly listen to and now hearing them through the kind of Zoom audio doesn't sound strange anymore. It just it just sounds what not like like life is, which is you know yeah. depressing, but it's not it's not jarring on the ear anymore. I think you've become so accustomed to it. I think going back to, to HG sound will be like, whoa, <laughs> what's this clear thing? <laughs> yeah, I've been uh, I've been listening to Adam Buxton's podcast a lot, and in um, I don't know if you've ever heard that, but in in some of the earlier ones, he's just like, oh, so we're just here in like my friend Lizzie's house, and um, and there'll be like all kinds of noise going on, and like oh, that's the kettle boiling and so on. But now he's on Zoom, it is actually much clearer mm. and um, and kind of more focused, perhaps as a result as well. Sometimes, so yeah, I don't know if he'll go back to his mate's kitchen afterwards or just stay on zoom forever but if you're into your satire the uh the, the joe dunthorne one's quite interesting he wrote that book submarine which got turned into the film yeah. by Richard Ayoade, um and his books are, are really really funny and and really good oh, cool. can we start by asking you to tell the listeners a bit about yourself and how you came to write the book so my name although it's hidden from book uh, is ollie grant under the book i, I adopt the alias of uh, comrade hyun ji who is the global juche ambassador but we'll get on into him in a moment's time he sort of went, went to university and then read english and drama then and i think like most people who read english think they might want to get into publishing which i spent a couple of years trying to get into and then eventually did yeah and then after being mad for about two years this idea of a, of a book came to me and then it kind of snowballed from there which is Great. How to Live Well the North Korean Way, what specifically inspired that topic and that format? Previously, I had zero interest in, in North Korea whatsoever. I had I never set out uh, to write a book about North Korea or about uh, the regimes of various dictators. I think like most things, and I, I think in any form of media, when formats and, uh, and ideas have kind of been repeated quite a lot, when kind of that fatigue begins to set in, I think that's always a kind of a moment where you can poke some fun at that and I think there have been a whole stream of of books of these like um the little book of Huga, Ikigai, um How to Live Well it seemed like basically every there's a quip somewhere in the book that I say that like no nation the a G8 nation is allowed a seat around the table unless it had its own hardback wellness gifting book and it seemed that we were having more and more of these and I remember 
one time at work because at the time I was working on the non-fiction desk and we had quite a few of these proposals in about these kind of books and one of them I can't remember the title now it's sort of a cluster of consonants it was a it was a Russian word uh, and it was about how to how to live better through by way of Russian cuisine <laughs> which famously is a cuisine which has resulted in the starvation and famine of millions of people so at this point I thought this is ridiculous like we've probably reached re- reached the end of this road and so maybe the only thing have to do is perhaps poke some fun at it so off the back of that I kind of thought what country could be fun to have its own uh, lifestyle book and, and and North Korea was that country yeah we need to find that Russia book and link to it in the notes <laughs> I think that's um I didn't I hadn't heard of that one but yeah I think we both thought that was perhaps where the target of the satire is in this text the idea of kind of stripping a nation to whatever you can bastardize into some sort of advice and wellness Christmas bestseller yeah, I think yeah. So I think on on the one hand, it's a it's a kind of joke about not the industry, but about how many books of these have been published, and so that that there's kind of room to poke fun at that. And then on the other hand, it's also kind of poking fun at AR millennial um, kind of lifestyle wellness fads, which seem to be never ending. And then also the kind of ridiculous remedy to that is the barbaric regime that, that North Korea, I don't know what the word is, perpetuates, I don't know, it instills um, commands, basically, would probably yeah. be the, the, would be the word. Um, but yeah, but I think like all these things, I think in anything, there was an interview the other day of someone, they were looking back on their time at the BBC and they were saying that how something, it was like Mrs Brown's boys and their producer went, yeah, can we just have more of that, please? Can we just have more of the same? And like, that, that, I understand because it's, when something's been a success, people want to replicate it, but it is just a law of diminishing returns. And I think my book sales today are proof of that. But I can, I, I understand why people want to jump on the back of things. But I think after a while, you know, the, the newer options become, there are greater rewards to be found elsewhere, I think. It's really interesting hearing you talk about that because when I, we received this, thank you very much for sending these copies. Like it That's took me, a, a, it was a while for me to try and work out sort of what, like exactly what the joke was. So you can tell it's satire and I thought it's kind of a diagnostic parody of that genre of writing. Although that penny, I'm ashamed to say, it took a long time for that to drop. Like it wasn't until I was reading the endorsements and I saw the reference to the um, this little book of Hugo, is that how you say it? And then as soon as I saw yeah, that, yeah. It, all, it all came together because I was I was reading it and I was like, oh, it's kind of it's it's skewing the idea of like national identity and how that can be marketized and commodified. So I sort of got that. And then I, was like, I feel like it's sort of inviting you at times to agree. And then when you do, there's this moment of shock, horror. And it's like, oh, I can't agree with that because that's the <laughs> North Korean regime. And then there was times when I thought, is this is it mostly about raising awareness of how things are in North Korea? So I sort of had all the different parts. And then as soon as I saw the book of height, how do you say it? It's uh, Huga. Yeah, I think Huga is the correct pronunciation. As soon as I got that, it all fell together. But I did feel like there was other targets. Like, so the wellness target and the sort of millennial market. I mean, were there other targets as well in play? Well, it, it, it's interesting. I mean... I, a apologies that the joke is not clear clear enough. That's my loss. But I no. But also, I think I think yeah. There are there are probably. I think you could perhaps, if you want to get into it, we, there are multiple kind of facets to that, which is kind of poking fun at multiple things simultaneously. So I think one is is the kind of perhaps fatigue in this area of, of publishing. Two, that idea that and that sort of bogus idea that you can just commodify a nation's culture and, and, and sell that. Three, that I think, you know, if you look in any of these books, what they are saying in all of these kind of lifestyle books, and in fact, all of lifestyle trends is 
is nothing but common sense. Like no one is reinventing the wheel here. Like it's just common sense repackaged and re it's like this game of pass the parcel of common sense where we just put a different cover on it by a different influencer or a different book cover or a different podcast leave and we just hand it around and we go oh my god i wait i should try and get to bed before midnight that is that is that is groundbreaking or maybe i shouldn't eat so much fast food or god would you look at that drinking is bad for me and and so is screen time i mean this is not like high concept stuff but yet people just go nuts for it and and, and you would think once you've there should basically be one manual there only needs to be one manual and, I, I, and why consumers get hoodwinked into buying the same manual time and time again by people who are just unqualified to talk about this you know <laughs> you know it's I'm not gonna name names because I don't want to get into trouble but they but like you know just you know oh because they have 50,000 followers they can tell you how to breathe so I went a little rant there <laughs> <laughs> no so that's that's another layer as well then isn't it because surely the idea that there should only be one book to tell us all how to live that's quite North Korean isn't it <laughs> <laughs> well yeah we just yeah. have an official government government mandated instruction on how to do everything and then we'll be away. But I suppose that the, the thing with that is, is that, you know, it's something which is, you know, our general physical and, and mental health transcends borders. So, you know, there is no need for there to be like nationalistic about it. Like human beings, you know, whether you're from North Korea or South America or wherever in the world, getting a good night's sleep is a good night's sleep. So, you know, I suppose it works better where there's an obvious aesthetic, doesn't it? Like, because Huga was also about like how it all looks, you know, what kind of pattern is on your jumper and your socks and, and so on. So anything where you can draw on or just construct an, a visual aesthetic sort of works extra well, doesn't it? Particularly. And I think now in, in the kind of day and age of Instagram where, where you can kind of push that visual lifestyle and, and, and people can uh, kind of engage with that on a visual level. I think, yeah, people are definitely drawn towards that. So, and it, you know, it looks nice on those tiles, little cups so, and little jumpers. Yeah. It just makes me think, so I'm, so we didn't say at the start, but I, I work on 18th century literature, like 18th century satire literature, and Joe works on 19th century, but this all reminds me of when like cheap print first exploded, one of the first like major genres was conduct book literature. In literature that told people how to behave okay. so as soon as you get print you get these highly codified systems of how you are or aren't supposed to behave and then a booming industry of people telling you how to live so it's interesting that that's just well from your dual insight as a satirist and someone in the publishing industry that's still going on like that fatigue is maybe 300 years old but i think also i think perhaps it's different i think you know as someone who works in the business perhaps that fatigue is only really it's perhaps only people working in it feel that fatigue or you perhaps feel that fatigue more keenly because you are aware of of the mechanics and i think you know you you see behind the curtain you see how it all works and so you, you kind of perhaps adopt a more cynical viewpoint of how these these products and these books and these and these authors come to fruition whereas actually if you're a, a consumer you can choose to kind of engage or as much as little as you as you want to yeah so perhaps that fatigue is is really just a gag for those that read the bookseller and I'm, I'm not sure i don't know but interesting that you said that adam and if the, the two of you have found trends that have gone back hundreds of years of of people using publishing as a way to tell people how to live that's I had, I had no idea about that but that's really interesting well it also kind of reminds me on a different parallel but also 18th century of a modest proposal as well where he's uh, where Jonathan Swift is satirizing 
pamphlets advising people on kind of what to do and how to how to solve poverty and so on and recommend the the eating of babies in but in a way that very much captures the voice of of the kind of thing that he's pastiching and satirizing and I feel like that's kind of a parallel here as well I that that, that's a very flattering parallel to, to be drawn to, and one that I will gladly receive. Grant and Swift, yeah, they I, they they stand, they stand on the same shelf. I, I think exactly that, and I think some of the absurd remedies that that are found in here. You mentioned that that, that Swift's one of of eating of eating babies, but the the one here is you know is is promoting child labour and stuff like that, which is obviously so. Um, so yeah, that thank you for drawing that parallel. I thought of modest proposal as well as I was reading it because uh, so when I said that I didn't realize the joke straight away what I meant is it was a dawning realization and a pleasurable one um, <laughs> like when the penny dropping I think it was it was really testament to what it was doing but the, the a few of the bits that I really appreciate like the bits that, that really tickled me were the moments where you're almost you're invited to agree like it, it'll say something it'll make a claim where you're like well yeah that's good I agree with that and then by the time you get to the end of the section you're like oh no He's drawn that conclusion for like a really, really quite bad reason. And that, that process reminded me of Modest Proposal where sort of he presents his logic and you're like, oh yeah, this is a great, this is all sensible. What's the solution? Oh, eating babies. Like that moment of horrible yeah. revelation that you've, that you've gone along with something. I felt that oftentimes reading this. Oh, well, I'm glad, glad, glad you felt that. I think, yeah, that was, that was one of the, the ways of doing it. I, when I kind of discussing with with the editor about how kind of best best to structure this, I think the kind of feedback that I got from at the beginning was that I basically had gone too far down a, a North Korean wormhole, and so the book was very was very in depth, all about the kind of details of the regime and and everything else. And and while there was definitely stuff in there that was funny and, and interesting once I dragged my head out, or my ed- editor dragged my head out, she was like, you know, we all don't know we haven't gone this journey with you down to this uh this north korean wormhole so actually by by making the the kind of the central voice comrade junji like an outsider to the western world who then comes to the west to do this recce mission he then kind of is able to point out all our absurd behavioral habits and rituals and things like that that you know that we are all probably aware of that are absurd and unhealthy and 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 perhaps could be changed for the better but you know our life doesn't allow us to do so so I think having that outside eye was a was a really nice tool and then yeah he was able to kind of offer this sort of olive branch and and, and a remedy to our to to these situations but then pull it away uh, at the last minute with this bizarre and outrageous and uh obviously uh, unpleasant remedies from North Korea. So a really good example of that was the short section on the gender pay gap when, it, <laughs> when he's sort of saying this is cruel and wrong and why should women not be paid the same for the work they do where I'm from we all get paid the same and the only tell that anything is awry is the little bit in parenthesis that that mentions that they get paid roughly four American dollars a month so everyone should get paid four dollars a month. Yeah, there are lots of things. And I, a similar one to that is the one about uh, maternity leave and how he feels that how, uh, you know, people taking maternity leave have suffered with their careers as, as a result, which, you know, is something we all agree with. But then the remedy for that is not to look after the child, but instead bring the baby back into the factory straight away and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think that was quite a nice kind of conceit to, to use little sections under was, was to lure them and then and pull the rug from underneath them. Of all the people we've spoken to about different satirical projects they've they've undertaken, the responses to this question vary quite 
quite widely from knowing exactly who it is they want to read their stuff or listen to their stuff and change their minds as a result and in what direction they want them to change their minds to people who just who who perform satire almost as a, a form of catharsis for themselves because it there's something kind of satisfying about doing it or they just feel that they need to or that they they want to point something out but aren't particularly thinking about a specific group of people who are going to read it and change hearts and minds. Do you have an intended audience here? Is there a an ideal reader who reads this book and thinks differently about something as a consequence? The, the truth is, is, is no, Joe. I, I don't know why this book came about. I mean, I, I still kind of think the whole thing is quite funny that it, it did even come about. To be truthful, it genuinely happened when that when that proposal came in. We were sort of laughing about it and I put this idea out there as a sort of flippant throwaway suggestion. And then I don't know, something in me, I've, you know, I'm quite sort of, I have a lot of free time <laughs> and a little bit industrious when it comes to these sort of creative pursuits. So just started doing some digging and then, uh, because I thought there might be an opportunity here that this, this could actually work. I thought of North Korea and then I stumbled across the Juche philosophy. It just kind of, it all, it all came together and I couldn't quite believe that there was this kind of strange word like Hugo or Ikigai. Like, you know, it all matched up perfectly. And after that, it all just kind of fell into place. So I don't think I was particularly out to, to win over hearts and minds or change people's perception of the world. I think it was a kind of perhaps a personal challenge, um, but, but ultimately I, I thought this could work and it was very satisfying to see that it could work and I you know ultimately I think it was just quite silly and, and quite fun I think that was sorry that's probably not the answer you, you, no, you not wanted. At all. like I say we've, we've had I think every variation of answer to that question and it's interesting to think about and also if it if it will or could work you know when when people do want explicitly want someone to change their mind as a result or sometimes it's just fun <laughs> And yeah. in your case, clearly everything just came together so neatly as to be irresistible almost, it sounds like. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a, that's a really nice way of putting it. I th- in terms of who will read this, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it will it will make people slightly more cynical of, of kind of wellness trends and, and view them slightly differently. But, you know, ultimately it's just, it's a, it's, it's just a, 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 it's quite, quite a silly thing. And, and hopefully, I mean, there are just some, some good kind of jokes in there, you know. I think we talked about and but also Kim is uh he's a you know brutal but very strange man but also very funny to poke some fun at as well like he's just extraordinary so to have the opportunity to kind of do that as well I think was you know the look at that film the information that did so well of doing that as well so I think he just I mean even his face is funny you know (laughs) there's these like sound bites throughout from from Kim Jong-il every few pages there'll be a soundbite. Are they all fictional or is it a combination of fictional and real? Some of them genuinely are real. Some yeah. of them, like the, the salaried man is, is a worthless man. I think it is a, is, a, is a real quote, which then you put to the, the caption of him, reassuring factory workers. No, most of the quotes are made up and I don't think any are verbatim, but some might, I might have taken a little bit of creative license with just to jazz up or make them fit the, the content a bit more neatly. But no, I, I should say they probably, I would say 95%, they are, they are made up. But the sentiment of which, like of those ridiculous quotes does lie in, 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 in some degree of truth. I mean, I 
trawled through to spend months going through these PDF, which are published speeches and manifestos from the from the party in North Korea. And it's all available to view online. It's fantastic. Uh, just go on uh, korea-dprk.com and then go to the uh, library and you can get lost in there for, for many an hour. Uh, or in my case, monk, and and the kind of rhetoric that the the party uses is just extraordinary. It's so um, it's so hyperbolic, and it's just it's just a, a, amazing to read. But there's also these the, these really fun ones are uh, the authorized biographies of of Kim Il Sung and, and Kim Jong Il. They're these bizarre sort of biblical tales, almost parables about about the great leaders, um, which are just extraordinary to read, and they are. So, so kind of big and verbose but about such small things like and there's one where they almost rewrite the Arthurian legend about a a tractor door (laughs) and it will be that it's like some snowy afternoon or whatever and 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 Kim Il-sung is on his way to to visit some factory workers high up in the mountains and 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 on the on the way there they they pass through a small village and, and the village rush out to to kind of to kind of serenade the great leader and everyone comes out so Kim gets out the car uh, and kind of wishes well to, to to all the villagers and then he's he kind of in, in inspecting their machinery and stuff and then there's one tractor which all the villagers become very bashful about and they don't want him to see and so uh so Kim says why not and they said uh because it's not working so he marches over to this to this tractor and tries to open the door and they said no 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 one's been able to open this tractor door for for hundreds of years and then Kim sort of says step aside and effortlessly with one hand opens up this tractor door and immediately the whole village just bursts into tears and just starts praising him with thanks at which point Kim gets back in the car and drives off again and it's just like these like absurd stories like that which were just really good fun to read so that's incredible isn't it I mean that's I know it's it's a really hackneyed thing to say but that is kind of beyond satire isn't it the idea of rewriting Arthurian legends to paint a North Korean dictator in the vein of King Arthur but the the kind of bathos of it being a tractor door as well is just it is it is beyond satire that particular thing I think isn't it or it's yeah that's it's just ridiculous it's it's so fun but honestly check them out because there is just they are just such fun to read um and they are big because they're not the 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 kind of PDS I was referring to earlier are kind of very much they're, they're kind of more political and very much like the party the party line on stuff but these ones have been commissioned by obviously a, from the creative writing party within the party and so they have this kind of brilliant language to them and just the jeopardy about them is just yeah attract the door not being able to open and stuff like that it's just great and it's like yeah there are many other examples but they're they're well worth a read I mean that's something else that I felt when I was reading the book though is that there's like obviously that's that's bizarre and absurd and strange but then that's the sort of thing that we could imagine leaders of the western world doing nowadays it's sort of like creating and i thought it's a big tell isn't it on the the praise for juche on the front page where it's endorsed by donald trump pretty patel dominic raab nigel farage and joe rogan was that that was was that part of it as well i, I yeah i think again just for, for for legal reasons we should caveat that those are again fictional fictional quotes as well but yeah i think the yeah i i suppose also this, this book has i think it could have happened you know two three years ago as well i think that there are still kind of it can sit along parody those those wellness titles but you know more and more now it seems that the kind of the fundamentals of Juche, which are military, economic, and ideological 
self-sufficiency. That's not a far cry from from the kind of Brexit no deal kind of rhetoric that, that we're entering into. So it, it felt kind of apt to, to, to whack those names uh, of Dominic Raab and, and Pretty Patel and, and, and co in there and, and, and Farage. I was going to do one about Tim Martin at Weatherspoons, but apparently he's, uh, he's quite on it with the lawyers. So I was advised against putting him in. Uh, but he was in my thoughts throughout whilst writing this. So Tim, if you're listening. Here's to you, big guy. I wonder but if yeah. we can get people to send in suggestions of what Tim Martin's fictional endorsement might have been. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I think he just would have, he would have, I think it's particularly the sections on on work and life and, and, and kind of how you conduct yourself in the workplace. I think he would have been very, uh, very key for. <laughs> in the Joe Rogan quote, it's like, the Joe Rogan quote is, holy fuck, I've got to tell Elon about this. Um, <laughs> Which again, I mean, reading that, I read that read those at the start and then I went back to read them at the end. And I thought there is maybe something else going on here with the kind of like ultra capitalist figures like Elon Musk finding something in this supposedly socialist state. And I mean, there's also another bit that really tickled me was in the introduction right at the start when it describes how the great leader came up with the philosophy and he, he read the abridged works of Mark, Marx and Lenin. He spoke to Fidel Castro and he sent, he received, he sent an encouraging telegram to Harold Wilson and that produced this philosophy. So, I mean, is that yeah. something going on in the background as well? He, he did his research, didn't he, okay. <laughs> Um But no, it, it, from, from what I could gather from, from kind of reading around it it, it, it seemed to be quite a sort of sporadic or instantaneous creation, this philosophy. It literally, after the, the liberation war, he literally just snapped his fingers and, and lo, Juche was born. But yeah, I mean, I think, you know, if ever you're a leader of, of a country or in a position of power, I think regardless of your points of differences, you're probably, there's perhaps an underlying respect for, for other leaders or people in positions of power. So yes, I, I support. I suppose there is, I think, regardless of what, what, what you think about Kim and his, his regime over there, I think as a world leader or as a, you know, someone who has immense influence, it would be strange if you weren't also interested by how those people operate and how they control people or, you know, lead. So do you think of yourself as a satirist? Um, I, I, I would say not, but I would say probably my, my published record to date would have to indicate that potentially yes um i don't much i mean before this when i when i left uni i i spent a year and many other subsequent years writing a a, a book which again was i'm not sure i, I don't know if i ever intend to to always set out to write funny stuff it just seems to you know when i put the finger on the keys or, or pen to paper or whatever it just kind of leans towards the slightly humorous slant or i just perhaps get slightly averse to sincerity and have to have to throw in a gag in there and then they add up to become something hopefully quite fun i love doing kind of comedy stuff and i'm a big consumer of it so i think it's yeah it's just something i really enjoy doing so it sounds it sounds like you're a kind of old almost like an accidental satirist but through serendipity as well like things just come together and end up being funny and working out in a way that perpetually takes you back to doing one form or another of satire. I'm not really sure how it comes about but yes I, I'm not sure I mean then you know my brother and I at the moment are trying to kind of write a stuck comp so I suppose that has a very kind of clear ambition of, of, of wanting that the operation there is to be funny I suppose so that that's quite a conscious thing and and this I suppose actually yeah it probably did start with a 
I kind of it started as a joke and then I just ran with that joke until until it came to fruition. Is it too early to say what the sitcom will be about? No, no absolutely. I mean, it, it, it's uh, if any producers are listening, please prick up your ears. My brother and I have both ended up for our sins on the wrong side of the law a few times when it comes to motoring law, I should say. And so have spent many weekends on driving awareness courses, which are incredibly enlightening and informative. But they're also just fascinating <laughs> classes to be in because for Saturdays, on end get stuck in a caravan as I was with two very enthusiastic quite pedantic instructors and then people from from all walks of life who have committed all varying degrees of motoring crimes some spilling into more severe crimes that come with that all put in the same room for six Saturdays having to do classes and trust exercises uh, and things like that so that kind of format is just a very cheap to make producers and b just quite fun I think having all those people from from different walks of life in a, in a, in a confined space having to all kind of row in the same direction is always kind of quite a good uh, recipe potentially for comedy so yeah we're just giving it a go at the moment seeing where it takes us I think there's probably a lot of comedy to mind from from the people who run those sessions yes that they are they're just a gift that keeps on giving <laughs> they're fantastic but they do also do a wonderful job and they help raise awareness and, and change people's minds and make them very uh, aware of, of the mistakes they've made so hats off to them great guys but also very funny guys unknowingly what do you think is the value of satire in in 2020 or indeed 2021 by the time this comes out as well you know the leaders in power have certainly shifted the goalpost about what is strange and what's bizarre and, and i think that's kind of um, you know people have had to react accordingly to that but i think it you know i think humor will always remain a, a really effective way of, of communicating something to people and i think you know it's, it's old and it's cliche but you know if you laughter like twinned with sincerity I think produces a far more kind of profound response within the consumer of that than just than just kind of straight talk and I think things like you know even now you look at like cartoons and stuff like that I think they're just getting those little visual snippets in in various magazines I think when I read a magazine if there's a good and funny cartoon in there that's almost what you take away from the news that day that 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 little capsule of it satire definitely has a massive role to play in society today in fact i remember one time i was i was sort of sitting in my housemates we were watching i want news for you one evening and i was and i can't remember who it was it was something like the lib dem that point where the leader lib dem party like kept changing like, every <laughs> few months was on there and they were just getting a really hard time and i remember telling, telling it to my housemate and i was like oh, you know, what does someone like Ian Hislop do? They just sit there on this panel show with this very adoring audience, just poke pot shots at this at this MP who is is doesn't seem like a bad person, is just trying to do what they believe is is the right thing. And I kind of I sort of felt that was quite an unfair arena to put people in for for kind of under the under the name of satire and, and for public entertainment. I felt it wasn't a particularly fair bear pit. <laughs> Uh, if such a thing exists but then you know I was listened to it to an interview with him and he really interesting he just went in in depth about all that satire has to play and and, and what shows like have I got news for you do uh, you know about holding speaking truth to power and, and holding people to account and I think that's a, it's, a, it's a really really important part of society and I think publications like Private Eye and have I got news for you and other such shows I think do a really good job of doing that and I think it's really important and I think the more we see today of, of of corruption and injustice and inequality, I think using humour as a way to, to expose that, I think is a really effective way, especially if people become fatigued of the, of the traditional forms of, of information. I think there's only so much kind of worthy and righteous telling people can, can be told. And I think, you know, how we 
how we communicate that is very important there's a place for everything I think I generally prefer Ian Hislop when he's doing almost anything else except being a panelist on Have I Got News For You I think that's his least engaging persona actually but you're right like when you hear him interviewed he's generally a pretty interesting and considered interviewee no I, I wasn't having a diss at Ian Hislop I think he's, he's he's brilliant it was just I kind of in that moment perhaps questioned I was like this doesn't feel very fair and actually when I heard him speak at, at greater length about the role of satire and, and, and what his kind of job entails and actually the kind of mission behind it or I think it just yeah it just it just makes it feel all the more important and, and, and necessary it's a tricky balance isn't it because if you're a politician you go on there you'll get torn a new one by Ian Hislop or or you'll end up being Boris Johnson. That's the example everyone always talks about, isn't it? You go on well and, and it works. But it, it always fascinates me that politicians go on there because they must think, if I play this right, I'll be the new Boris Johnson. But then that never, never really happens. So it's the same phenomenon when people choose to go and come dine with me or coach trip or something. It's like, they're going to make you look stupid. So why do you, why do people still go on the show? And yet they do. And for that, I think they deserve whatever they get. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there should be probably perhaps less sympathy because because as you rightly say they know exactly what they're getting themselves in for but also I think go on those shows if you've if you're prepared to cut the punches and, and, and fight back a little bit because otherwise I think you end up coming across doubly as worse because you just literally get get roasted in front of the audience and I think I think perhaps what Boris Johnson did quite well was was kind of own that roasting at and also you know give back as good as you got to some degree so yeah you mentioned cartoons a minute ago i noticed on your twitter there's a link to cartoons are you a cartoon <laughs> little, little little slow plug i put in there glad you picked up on that <laughs> thank you very much <laughs> yeah i've been it was a little lockdown hobby actually which has now blossomed into taking up more of my time but i really i really enjoy doing them and yeah i just think you know i'm not particularly skilled i'm completely self-taught and i've got a long way to go before i come anywhere near proficient but yeah I ju- i've just always really in- in- enjoyed cartoons and I think like I was saying earlier I think how they can distill a mood or a, an atmosphere or a kind of sentiment or a bubbling feeling that is in the kind of public discourse at that time I think is amazing and I think not to get kind of too deep into this but also I think on a kind of technical level the way because they are so stripped back and they are so bad just how a few lines can say so much I think is just ma- magic I think when you see those very very slight drawings say so much and capture something so perfectly i think it's just yeah it's just awesome thank you thanks again you've been incredibly generous and we appreciate that it's been really interesting conversation well thank you very much for having me on that's been really good uh, to talk about it and i yeah it was nice to kind of talk about it in a bit more detail because as as kind of pithy as it is it was it's nice to kind of take i think it's probably the first time actually taking stock and actually reflecting on on the process of a whole and and, and what it was trying to do so thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to do that Well, I really enjoyed talking to Ollie Grant. Yes, so did I. That was really interesting. And I think the the text, although Ollie's quite sort of self-deprecating about the aims that he had for it, or, you know, he, he's not making any grand claims for this text. Um, I think it does offer some very productive opportunities to reflect on the nature of self-help books in general, and perhaps specifically self-help books that appropriate selective aspects of another culture. As he says, you know, kind of, use that to, set, to tell us things that surely we already know like sleep mm. is good yeah and i know that um uh, people often say don't judge a book by its cover but i think you should judge this book by its cover because much like the book itself the cover is is very very funny so obviously listeners can't hear this can't <laughs> obviously listeners can't see this 
but it's a mural in the style of North Korean propaganda. And you've got a family, smiling family sat in the foreground having a picnic. You've got an artist there painting a picture of the Supreme Leader. And then in the background, you've got a factory with, with all the sort of communist flags and iconography. And, and then just in the middle, it says, Junji, how to live well the North Korean way, which I do think is a very, very funny title for a book. Yes, maybe we could put, see if we could get an image of the book, the book on the show notes for the episode. Yeah. Yeah, so do please do check that out and let us know what you think. But I think we're running out of time today, aren't we, Joe? Coming to the end of this. Probably so, yeah. Um, and as this is going out on Valentine's Day, people will probably have other things to do, won't they, than to listen to us being all kind of cynical and satirical. They'll be um, <laughs> staying in their houses. <laughs> I don't think of it as Valentine's Day anymore. I think what of it as... Smith and War talk about satire day. This is the, the date of our first episode. Do you remember when the first episode came out and to promote it, we came up with all of those rhymes? We did, didn't we? Uh, yeah. Roses are red, violets are blue. If you like satire, this podcast is for you. Was it something yeah. like that? Yeah, oh, and I think as well, because we're quite cynical, there was the other version, which is roses are red, violets are blue. If you don't like satire, this podcast isn't for you. So that's very clever, isn't it? Very satirical. Yeah. Uh, do you want to see if you can think of any more like relevant, updated ones before we go? Like, roses are red, corona's a virus. In Egyptian times, they wrote on papyrus. That's good. Roses are red, violets are blue. Listen to the podcast and for God's sake, remember, you can't call it the China flu. <laughs> Very good, yeah. Um, hmm, what rhymes with vaccine? Roses are red, violets are blue. Not long till the vaccine. My favourite peak is Maxine. Ooh, <laughs> just feels a little bit spliced together doesn't it but i mean we can we can work on it maybe we'll have some more ideas and we could use them when we tweet this episode that's very true so yeah do you want to tell the lovely listeners what they should do now now they've finished listening to the episode what what should they do now um yeah go and do something else play a board game go sledding and sit by the fire make something for your pantry there's a lot of assumptions about what you space you've got as well there isn't there a kitchen there you can fit your friends in and a pantry you need to fill anyway what should they do um well it, they could get in touch with us couldn't they if they by any of the issues raised in today's podcast or just simply want to let us know that it was meh they could email us they could it's satire no more at gmail.com yeah and that's it nothing else <laughs> if you've been affected affected or impacted by this podcast uh send us an email hit us up on socials we're at twitter at satire no more we're on instagram at talk about satire but bear in mind sometimes if you've got nothing nice to say it's better to say nothing at all although now we've got the jingle let rip yeah i, I do want to hear the jingle again if yeah if you want to hear the accolade song again <laughs> and i'm sure you do then please do get in touch do you want to, do you know how i made that no i thought i assumed you had like a hotelier bell um, no, I had a cup and a metal straw, and I hit the one with the other, ah. and then I made that up, and then I stopped, and I, it, I imagine it probably seems like a lot more work would have gone into it, but no, it was just that, just that that's, and a bit of genius. That's fantastic. You're an inspiration to us all. So, on that bombshell, yes. what do listeners need to do? Um, sit up. Shut up. And... Stay satirical. Yeah, eat my satire. Eat my satire, but stay satirical whilst you're eating it. Yeah. Goodbye, listeners, and happy Valentine's Day. Goodbye.